Thank you for listening to the Father's Table podcast. If you like this episode, please make sure you share. For more episodes and blogs, check out www.fatherspodcast.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Father's Table Podcast and Twitter at Father Stories. table, an introspective look and conversation about our fathers and how they shaped our lives. Let me start here. What do you think makes a good father? I think in our culture, to value your children for what they are and what they want to be and not impose uh, standards of success and materialism that are not valid for them and may not be valid at all. And uh, we live in a a culture that is very oriented towards the market. It's very oriented towards your ability to have a certain kind of profession, job, wealth, acquisition. And it puts tremendous pressure on kids, uh, testing, uh, their performance, if they have learning disabilities, if they're not particularly good at certain things. uh, You know, instead of trying to find the things that they find rewarding, uh, you know, uh, that will be meaningful to them, and celebrating that, the typical parenting exercise, some, they disguise it. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, we just love you for who you are. But they don't really mean it most often. And even my own mother, the only time I remember my mother really hitting me, you know, coming at me, and she was not a powerful woman, but hands flailing and yelling, was in the seventh grade, I flunked every subject. Hmm. And normally she wouldn't have seen my report card because I – took, you know, I knew how to break into the mailbox in our apartment building and I could sign a signature and send it back as if they had read it, you know, and she didn't even really even know where I was going to school. I mean, it was a different kind of upbringing, you know, uh, but she happened to see that report card and it was so disappointing to her because she thought I was a smart kid who was doing well and blah, blah, blah. And the fact is I had a learning disability mm. and, and because I, Ran into some, you know, in the seventh grade when I shifted schools, I ran into people who, you know, really punished me for my lousy handwriting or my poor spelling and stuff like that. I rebelled and I just played hooky and, you know, wouldn't pay attention. And really, you know, I got it turned around by the time I entered high school. But, yeah, it was a real struggle. And it's why I studied engineering, because I was never going to be good at the very thing that I make my living at writing (laughs) every English teacher managed to convince me I had no right to write. Everybody's got a right to write, uh, you know, or that because I couldn't do cursive or because uh, my spelling sucked, you know, boy, I was a loser. So I better stick with the math and science, which I didn't particularly like, but I was good at, you know, well, you know, good parenting really should begin with figuring out who is this kid and what are their potentials? What are their interests? What do they want to do? And not live through their some notion of their success and be supportive of how they are, you know, and, and what they are and what they can be and what will be meaningful to them. 
that's the most important thing. Don't don't put your most of our values are really screwed up. We're products of a pretty screwed up culture. Nobody wants to say it. But in this week of rioting and attack on our government and everything, it's pretty clear that, you know, you can't blame it on a few bad apples. We, we have uh, a lot of people in this country who are angry, self-righteous, want to take it out on others, want to scapegoat, capable of being mean. Uh, and they're not all Republicans. <laughs> you know, they come in all stripes. But, you know, we have a culture that uh, is not. As in, we thought it was inclusive, we welcome people. No, we don't. We divide people. We get them angry with each other. Uh, we make everything a contest. Everything winners, losers. That's what Donald Trump is. He's the ultimate exploiter of the winner loser notion. You're a loser. I'm a winner. You know, and that's a sickness that parents uh, believe in. I'll just get my kid. I've never seen people behave as poorly as when they want to get their children into what they think is a good school. It begins with kindergarten. They'll do anything. And we saw that with the USC scandal. They'll lie. They'll make up things. They'll hurt other people. None of them thought we're taking the spot that maybe some other rower, some other person who actually is doing the track and field uh, should get that spot. You know, there was no uh, questioning of that. These people were mostly thought of themselves as enlightened, mm -hmm. uh, liberal people, you know, but for their kid. I'll I'll break every rule. I'll I'll fake the SAT. I'll do this. I'll do that, and and that's a, a sickness of a, a, I think a capitalist culture, frankly, uh, out of control, uh, where winning and winning in material terms is everything, uh, uh, is is very frightening, uh, and uh, and it gets into parenting. The biggest, you know, many of these parents are absentee parents. The one thing they're not absent about is. Where is my kid going to preschool? It starts out when they're like 18 months old or something. You know, uh, what toys are we buying them? What tutors do they have? Mm. What are they learning? It's a sickness. It's a terrible sickness because very often it won't lead to any, even a good job. I mean, you can network like crazy uh, and they'll get their friends to hire their children or do favors for them and so forth. Uh, but they don't, it's not a bunch of happy campers. It's not a prescription for happiness, you know. It is in the short run. Oh, I got my kid into SC or I got my kid into Harvard. Oh, that's supposed to be a big deal, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a good mix, get into that particular school. The kid will do well there and happy. But in the main, it's a sick process. And it gets really wound up with uh, uh, parenting on a certain socioeconomic class level. And the vast majority of people in our culture are left out of that race because they don't have the means for it. Right now in the middle of this pandemic, I can tell you as a grandparent, I have a child who's, who lives in East LA and goes to a school in East LA. And I, I see very little concern about what closing the schools has meant for the children. You know, and now we're talking about kids basically from a, a Latino background. Uh, but it's true, certainly in the black community. I have, you know, young kids that I relate to through my grandchild who live in South Central and elsewhere. What kind of parenting is going on? Their parents still have to work in these so-called essential businesses, you know, uh, delivering orders or taking care of other people's children or still cleaning their houses, you know, and, uh, who's doing the parenting? What's happening to those kids? And, uh, 
there's a lot the hypocrisy about child raising in America is so extreme. Most of the successful people don't use the public schools, or when they use the public schools, they can cherry pick charter schools or a particularly good public school. Otherwise, they have an army of tutors, private schooling, and so forth. And we're all prone to that. If we have the money, God, you know, okay, I believe in this and I believe in that, but I want my, one of my sons has been a school teacher in the larger for the last 20 years. Uh, he's now back in graduate school becoming a psychologist. My son Christopher was asked to the editor of this uh, publication, Share Post. But he's been teaching. He's a product of the public schools uh, right through college. But he's been teaching in Oakland in, in the Skyline School, the biggest school in Oakland. And, you know, it's it's terrifying of the reality he has to deal with uh, because people do come from broken homes and they come from homes where the parents are, are working at jobs and can't be available. Or maybe there has been an arrest. Maybe there is social disarray. And, you know, for, for all those years, I, I mean, it made a wreck of him and uh, and of his fellow teachers. I'm not putting down the teachers, you know, they're you know, in the main, very decent people, uh, you know, but uh, we don't treat it as the front, you know, we, now we have to treat them a little bit as, as a frontline workers, but they are the frontline workers uh, more than the cops. Cops at least have body protection and are, are being well paid in most instances and, you know, have the support of the legal system. But, you know, trying to be a school teacher in what's called a rough area, and then you have a pandemic. And how many of the people that I know, for instance, even teaching at USC and everything, really think about that? What kind of parenting is going on right now in L.A.? Uh, for people who can't afford tutors and can you know, uh, don't have all the special computers at home. I mean, the distance learning is not working. I've witnessed that. You know, you can't get you know these kids. They're they're seven, eight, nine years old to pay attention. The teachers coming in for one hour. Yeah, if you got a hard driving professional parent and you got a nanny and you got the latest computer equipment and the latest educational toys and you, you oh let's take advantage of it and. Uh, let's teach them four languages while we're at it, you know, and some higher math. Yeah, you can do that if you got the resources and all that. But most of these kids around here in L.A., they're not getting that. We got a lost generation going now. Mm-hmm. Think about it. We got we got a generation. This is true in, all through America now, but particularly in the urban areas. Uh, well, no, a lot of the rural areas, kids are just not learning anything. They're going to be behind. And the kids with wealth and more money, uh, they're not going to be behind. Oh, that was an interesting experience. But, you know, that's when I learned, uh, you know, calculus. You know, I actually learned it at home. My, my father finally taught me, you know, about that because he, he also was at home. So, you know, he was there to help me with my calculus. So actually, educationally, I didn't suffer. I'm, ta- I'm basing this, by the way, on conversations I've had with quite a few of our students, mm-hmm. you know, because I've been teaching hundreds of them during this period, our students at USC. And I must say, they in the main have a good social conscience. They see the contradictions. They know that the life, if they're in a more affluent, not all of them are. We have plenty of scholarship kids and kids who don't have it easy and foreign students who don't have it easy. But in the main, you the class distinctions in our society are on stark display in this pandemic, but it's not that far from the norm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it just isn't, you know, and, and uh, you know, so any parenting and grandparenting experiences I've had are really very distorted 
by my relative affluence. I've had good jobs. My wife has had good jobs. We can help our children. We can help our grandchildren. You know, uh, and so it's a it's, it's a considerably different thing than the people living across the street from where my grandchild is living. No, their parents are out working. Mm. Who's watching the kid, you know, and what are they going to do? And where are they getting their education? You really think they're following the virtual class on a computer, you know, yeah. uh, and the main not, you know. Right. So I, 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 I do think uh, parenting, yes, it's, we all have a responsibility, but there's, it's a false dichotomy, our social responsibility and our personal. And I shouldn't have to tell a good Christian this. That's the whole message of Christianity mm-hmm. is that you can't draw a distinction between the personal and social responsibility. Mm-hmm. That was the critique that Christ was making of, of both the Roman Empire and its kind of secular gods and the traditional Jewish religion that, after all, uh, the, the Christians came out of. It was a rebellion against that separation of tribe right? Mm-hmm. Of the other. That's why it's a missionary religion, by the way. Missionary religions can be exploitive and terrible and take advantage of people, but they also contain an obligation that all of those souls matter, mm-hmm. right? Whether they're in Africa or in Asia, those souls matter and you have an obligation. Now, some people exploit that and, and take advantage and just grab their resources or whatever, but uh, you know, it, it, it's an important message, so separating the personal from the societal, yes, you're absolutely right. It's an incredible cop-out to say, I'm taking care of the larger issues and ignoring my own home. Yes, that's a cop-out. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. One thing you learn as a parent very early on, mm-hmm. if you make this a better society, your kids are going to be sucked up into the worst of it. Because I even lived, when I lived in Orange County and I had two young children there, mm-hmm. they called it the bubble. The kids called it the bubble. Yeah, we're in nice, affluent, white Orange County, you know, Irvine. <laughs> Irvine's the bubble. You know, it's safe, and we have these good after-school programs and everything. You know what, though? The kids wanted to take off to other neighborhoods. Other, They wanted to get to L.A. Mm. downtown. They wanted to get to the west side as fast as they could because they hated the bubble, you know. And by the way, drugs could come into the bubble, you know, and bad tendencies and crimes of one kind or another. Mm -hmm. And so we live in a worldwide society. And as a parent, you know, you can't real. there's a limit to how much you can protect your kid from that world outside, you know, they end up playing with kids. If those kids have had a bad background and so forth, you're not going to be able to be there telling them, no, you can't do that. They're going to be doing it, you know? Right, right. There's, there's definitely an, an, I was just saying order um, in, if I'm one person and I have a family, you know my family, I, the way I live influences or, and affects them first. And then I have neighbors outside I want to definitely connect with and love on and things like that. So I just want to make sure I'm consistent inside and out. That's, that's yes, the biggest, that's that's the biggest point thing. Out to you. I just point out to you, you still have a young child. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yes. Well, let me, let me tell you, <laughs> when that kid crosses what nine ten eleven or so forth you're you're what are you going to do you're going to hang out and see who are they really partying with or what are they really doing or what you know you're partying, be... partying with at 10 10 years old <laughs> I hope you... well, well welcome to the real world my friend uh you know uh but you're right you kid, got a point you got a point 
They got a lot of freedom now. And you're going to what? Censor what they watch on the internet? You're going to censor what they read? You can't do it anymore. That, 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 that horse has left the barn, you know. Uh, uh, this, this is a different world. You know, you can't keep them back on the ranch, you know. Okay, so if it's not 10, it's when they're 14. If it's not 14, it's when they're 18. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you got – you're absolutely – look, I'm optimistic about this because I teach at USC and I teach ethics. Uh-huh. And I, I taught a lot of, I've taught a lot of students there for over 20 years now. And I would say in the main, maybe they're self-selective. Maybe they take my class because they know I'm the kind of guy who's going to grill them on this. But I have found them to be a good – a good group, as good as any generation I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of the people putting down the current generation. I would say they're as good or better than any generation. Mm-hmm. And that includes their use of the internet. I don't go along with the idea that the internet, the internet is the best and worst of all worlds for our society and for our child raising. Mm-hmm. The best and worst. Mm-hmm. It's the worst in that you can get anything and yes, and you can be sidetracked and you could get false information, you can get racism, you can get this. It's the best world because you can get the corrections. Mm-hmm. You can learn to challenge. You can learn to think critically. You can get counter information. And you can end your provincialism. Mm-hmm. If you're really interested, you can see things in China or in Nigeria. You can get over language barriers. You can get translation. You can get very sophisticated. And, and that's part of education. So I'm a big believer that the challenge is not to cut children off. It's to guide them to a more, and students and young people, is to guide them to a more critical encounter with that world. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree there. Um, my approach wouldn't be censored like crazy. I, I, I haven't gotten to seven, eight, nine yet. Uh, I'm still at uh, baby steps. But uh, the whole parenting style will change eventually when they get older and ask more questions and more things that are going to be seen and heard and things like that. And I understand that I have to train them in how to engage or how we engage these things. And, And my faith will be a big part of it. Now, again, I can't force them to believe what I believe because that's something that they have to do on their own. But I can set foundations that they, they they will have foundations that I will teach them. And that's as far as I can uh, uh, go with them in that sense. Um, but as far as them taking the ball and running with it, that's something that's their journey. They have to go on for themselves like any other person. So I, I don't I don't really believe the whole if you grow up in a Christian Muslim Buddhist house, you'll be that. that that's not well, at least for the Christian faith, that's not how it works. Um, so, uh, to your point, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely going to be a change and a shift. Um, and I want to help them engage with the surroundings in this world that we're living in and hopefully offer some light on the darkness. That's, uh, I would say it's a lot of darkness out here, uh, in, from my point of view. So, yeah. Let me conclude this by talking, uh, uh, giving you a lesson in Christian education. Okay. <laughs> I disagree with me, but, but uh, uh, no, seriously, I don't want to, I know this will sound arrogant as can be, but I, I've just spent a week reading about Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a very good book, uh, Jonathan Alter's book on Jimmy Carter's life. It's the first really good, uh, first really complete 
biography of Jimmy Carter, who's now 95 or six and, you know, in failing health. Uh, and Jimmy Carter is probably the president who came closest to bringing a discussion about religion in a good way into American politics. And it happened not just by accident of my interviewing him in Playboy and where he talked about lust in his heart and so forth, but he, as a Democrat, he was a rare Democrat, but this is before the Jerry Falwells and before a lot of the Christian right. Uh, he was the first major candidate to talk about his religion openly and, and clearly and uh, about being a Sunday school teacher. Now, some people thought he was exploiting it and so forth. The reason he spent a lot of time talking to me about that stuff is he was trying to convince the 20 million readers of Playboy that religion had vitality and that it was not, I'm bouncing off what you just said, only prohibition, only you can't do this. No. Jimmy Carter's Baptist, white Baptist, uh, Christian faith, in his mind, is rooted on a notion of questioning, mm. of challenging, of uh, thinking for yourself, of independence, and by the way, independence of political labels and so forth. And this doesn't mean they get it right, because the white Southern Baptist Church got it all wrong, not only wrong, evilly wrong about slavery and segregation, evilly wrong in the name of Christ. But people like Jimmy Carter, who came to challenge that uh, as a Sunday school teacher, as a person who was a deacon in his church and took it very seriously, uh, his his Christianity, and people should read about it. I think he's written 36 books or something. I mean, he's written about spirituality and he's written about his religion quite a bit. And, and he interpreted, and I think I can tell you, because I did enough research on myself, and this book is very good in research, in his own parenting, in his own fathering. He's been very consistent. His children are all witnesses to that. Independent thinking, challenging. It wasn't just the nose. No, you can't have a beer or something, uh, you know, or just say no or, or what have you. It was, no, you have to, you have to realize why these rules make sense, why these concerns are significant. And and I would say Jimmy Carter, as a political leader, uh, involved religion in our politics in probably the best way that anyone has done. Because people have used religion politically. They've thundered on the pulpit. They've condemned this and condemned that. And Jimmy Carter really, um, and I'm, I'm stressing this only because I lived in his brain for the last week. You can't read a 780-page book and then do a podcast on it, which I did. I recommend people read it. I'm going to put it up next week on Sheer Post. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it. And, and he's really the political personality, I would have to say, that did a, a, a more significant job of relating religion to our daily life and to our politics in a good way. And you know, a lot of people attribute a lot of ideas to Jesus Christ. You know, you can be a right-wing racist and you're for Jesus Christ. You can be an enlightened uh, progressive and caring about, you know, the most vulnerable among us and be for Jesus Christ. There's lots of passages. You know, there's a Jesus project to try to figure out what did Jesus act. First of all, you know, what was there a Jesus and what did Jesus actually say? What can be attributed to him? So I'm not, and I don't have 
the, the scholarly uh, uh, credentials to really discuss that, you know. But what emerges from all that is that all of the religions are a good guide to important questions that need to be asked, all of them. Mm-hmm. You can't have a religion that doesn't deal with the big questions of what is life about and what does it all mean and where is it headed and what is valuable and so forth. And they all come up with contradictory answers. There are prophets who say this and prophets who say that. And every religion. You got Buddhists right now. A lot of people in LA think Buddhism is always a gentle religion, but you got Buddhists in Asia now killing non-Buddhists in the name of Buddha. You know, mm. so you, know, you got you got religion. You got Israeli. I mean, Itzhak Rabin, the, the Prime Minister of Israel, was killed by a religious, a Jewish fanatic, not a Muslim fanatic. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you know, you got Christian Ireland, you have Catholic Christians killing Protestant Christians for hundreds of hundred years. So religion itself doesn't give the answer, but it gives it raises the questions. And and I, I, my own feeling is that the danger in America is that materialism swamped any concern about serious ethical questions. And this goes to parenting, that at the end of the day, most parents are forced to deal with the material implications. Will my child do well in school? Will they get a good job? Will they get a nice house? Will they live in a good neighborhood? And then they attribute that. That's what the mega churches do, the big Protestant churches. Well, that's what Jesus wants. And if you're prosperous, you obviously lived a good life. Well, that's not true. Donald Trump was not prosperous because he lived a good life as a business person, probably quite something quite opposite. And that's certainly true of most of the people at Goldman Sachs and, and Chase Manhattan and everything else. So it, it's too simplistic to say that your material success is not an indication. It's probably uh, of goodness. It's probably an indication of evil, you know, more often than not, you know, uh, of greediness and, 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 and so forth. But the, the, as in parenting, if that becomes your standard, how well is my child doing and what kind of job are they going to get and are they going to be able to network, that's a prescription for disaster, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is, for unhappiness. Because, first of all, we all know if you don't have work that is meaningful, look, why are we doing this? You and I are doing this because we give a damn, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I got other things I can do. I'm talking to you because I respect you and I respect that you care. And I and I care, and that's why we're, we're spending. I'm, I'm, you know, right. I'm I'm not going to get time and a half pay for doing this. I'm not going to put this on my, you know, curriculum. I'm not going to, you know, I'm I'm doing this because we're two human beings, seriously engaged with these issues because we think these kids matter. We think parenting matters. We think life matters. Right. Getting it right matters. Right. Right. That, that, that's why we're doing this. You know. And and I think what's if I had to give you you asked me at the very beginning, think about, you know, close your eyes and think, okay, if I had to close my eyes now and think about what is it we just been talking about? What is this all about? Mm-hmm. And close my eyes, you know what comes to my mind? What's that? Um the inevitable trivialization and corruption of our sense of purpose. Mm as human beings, that we 
live in a modern culture. And it's not us alone, by the way. They have the same problem in China. They have the same problem in Russia. They have the same problem in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't matter whether they're a theocracy or a communist country or a democracy. They have it worldwide. And the internet reinforces that. The internet is all about selling. It's all about buying. It's all about purchasing. It's all about acquiring. Okay. Well, ethics doesn't have a chance in that cauldron. Ethics will be just mixed in as some little tiny flavor in a soup that is otherwise quite rotten, mm-hmm, you know, but mm-hmm. rotten essentially in terms of whether it's good for your health, but uh, palatable and maybe even quite tasty. And, and and so the real issue is you and I are talking about something that most people have been educated to not really care about. Mm. Being a good parent, being a good human being, being a good citizen. We say that, but what we mean is don't get in trouble, don't get arrested, uh, don't get called out by other people, uh, worry about your PR, worry about your appearance. Uh, but, you know, uh, if your child gets to be a top lawyer or a top doctor or a top this or top that, and they're doing well, uh, and this is something I observed from when I was a little kid. What did the parents really talk about on the benches around the playground on Allenton Avenue? How's your child doing? They didn't mean, is your child writing a great poem? Your son, your daughter. They didn't mean, are they making great art? Unless the art could sell. They didn't mean, uh, are they being good parents? Are they decent human beings? They didn't even mean, are they happy? Mm -hmm. They meant, no. What credential do they have? What job do they have? Okay. You know, what status do they have? What do they own? What can they do for you? Can they take care of you in your old age? You know, that was the dominant, really the dominant thing that I heard, whether you were uh, Jewish from Russia, whether you were Italian, uh, Catholic from Italy, whether you were Irish, Protestant or Catholic, you know, from the old, from Dublin, it didn't matter. I li- grew up in that New York, which was a cauldron of all of these cultures. And the disappointing thing to me as a kid was always, wait a minute, no one was really talking. Maybe they did on Sunday when or Saturday when they went to their respective religious houses. But in their child raising and what they were scolding their children for, why didn't you get the good grades? So why didn't you give the teacher what they wanted? You know, why didn't you give back what they're asking? You know, so you'll get a job. You'll get a job, you know. And the question of, you know, what kind of job or what are you going to do with your time or how are you going to give back or how are you going to serve? Yeah, there were stabs at it. There were the Boy Scouts or, you know, there were the different groups, you know. But in the main, they also were part of a ticket to ride to commercial, financial, material success. You know, and, and that is what our culture is all about. And unfortunately, it's now the culture of the whole world. Yeah, the whole world. I can definitely, I definitely. The whole world is a market run by Amazon. Okay? <laughs> oh, well, I, def- that's I definitely agree with you it's there. The church of Amazon, it's the church of Apple, you know, it's the church of Google, it's the church of the Chinese equivalents. They got all these companies that are mirrors of, of these uh, companies, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, and that's the worldwide culture now. And lots of luck in trying to have a, a moral life in that culture. It's a swamp of corruption. You know, Bob, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, you gave me something else to add to the the, the podcast now, uh, how you talked about purpose in that last bit. Um, and I could ask a question of uh, how did your father shape your sense of purpose in this world? 
um, because I think that's very important. Uh, my wife and I talk about this often of how in our household, it was really mainly about school and God, you know, in those two. And, and since we spent more time at school, it seemed like it was about school throughout the week and, you know, God on Sunday. And that type of pattern, you can it sticks with you until you're an adult. And he's like, I got to get the grade. I got to get the grade so I can get the job. I got to get the job so I can make all this money. I got to make the money so I can have this family. But that's and what I'm learning is that's not what uh, the faith is about. Um, that's a, a different type of I think that's like, like you said, maybe a more of a of American type of religion, you know, whatever. And maybe this in in all religions. I I don't know, but you are definitely on to something there. Where it is, our that seems to be our goal is to to get material things, and then you're blessed by God. And and there's something that people call the prosperity gospel and things like that, where you know, if God will bless you and have a lot of money. And I was just even going through YouTube scrolling through a few online services and the guy talked about money. I just like scrubbed through it a little bit. He was talking about money and, and blessing. And it's just like, you know, this is not what the message is about. Uh, to your point, uh, it's, it's really funny, Bob. I don't think you've uh, identified as a Christian, but you seem to really hold that uh, story. You mentioned uh, the parable of the, the, the good Samaritan at a high regard, which is what it's really about. Uh, you know, serving others as we serve God. And uh, I think that's uh, what makes a good father, uh, just to, to cap that off with that. Um, and I'll let you close us out if you wanted to plug anything, have any final remarks, because I know you got to go. We we are had a good time discussing things. And um, so I don't have to go. Wait a minute. I, 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 look, one, one of the great illusions <laughs> in life, I've always felt this. Everybody always has the idea, and this is a marketing idea. Uh-huh. There's something else somewhere that's going to be better. You know, uh, some other product, some other restaurant, some other movie, and that's going to be better. So I'm going to leave this party or this class or this thing I'm doing. I'm going to find um, this career, this life, and find the other thing I'll, or this town. It's always that there's something better. My experience, uh, and I'm now in my 84th, soon to be 85th year, that's, that, that's a really deceptive notion. It was just as profound in that one-bedroom apartment in the Bronx on the fifth floor of a walk-up tenement. My parents were just as smart, and I'm not putting down Bertrand Russell, who I got to interview when he was 94, was probably the smartest human being in the world at that moment. Mm-hmm. I had a great philosopher. I've met I've met people from all walks of life and all levels of success. As a journalist, I've been able to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, Nelson Rockefeller, you know, and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev and, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon and Fidel Castro, a lot of people, you know, and uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, even, you know, uh, Jane Fonda, you know, okay, I've met a lot of people. I'm not putting any of them down. I can put them down for different things, but, you know, but I'm trying to make a different point. And it's really basically anti-elitist, not because it's good to be anti-elitist. It just grows out of my own knowledge. Uh, and 
and you because you began by how do I think about my father? My father was my mother and father were the wisest people I've ever met. And and but it took me, you know, there's an old story, you know. I used to think my father was stupid or he didn't know this or he's uptight. And then, you know, twenty years later I realized he was so smart. I wondered how did he learn so much in such a short time? Well, it's it's really in the eye of the beholder. You, you you were misjudging your father because he was not hip, he was not current, he was not successful, he was not this. Okay. Well, I have all my life been forced to recognize, I always, you know, didn't always love the advice I was getting from my parents. My mother was critical of some of my articles in the LA Times when she was in her 80s. I wrote a piece about Nixon that my mother thought was much too kind. And she read it with her glasses over her eyes. And she read this, it took her hours this thing I had spent a month writing and I went and I had interviewed, I interviewed Nixon after and everything. And she looked up and she said, he needs you. She was furious with me that I hadn't been tougher on, on Nixon, you know? So I'm not saying they always gave me a blank check. They were, they were pretty demanding parents, but I would say that their take on the world on, on life, their values were as good as I've encountered anywhere else in my life. And I'm really being honest about this. I'm not saying this to honor their memory or something. You know, uh, I told you a pretty bad story about my father breaking every dish in the, <laughs> in, in, in the kitchen. Going, we didn't have any other dishes. And I, I, I was dumbfounded. I was in shock. You know, uh, he didn't extend that act of violence to my mother or me ever. But you know, we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. We all have bad, we're all struggling with the devil. We're all, you know, uh, a work of contradictions. I'm not denying that, you know, I'm, tell, I'm sure my own children would tell you that. I'm sure my wife, uh, I've had three wives, by the way, and I love them all and get along with all, but I'm sure they can tell you that I was far from a, a always wonderful human being. But I would pray that and I think it's an important idea for life in general. And I think about it when I think about the the people who are not in fashion right now, whether they're Trump supporters or are they're Bernie Sanders, but the people not happy with the way things are. It's easy to marginalize people. It's easily to put them down as what Hillary Clinton said about Trump as deplorables. But having grown up with people who were not well educated and who were not materially successful had trouble paying their bills, you know, uh, we were, food was an issue, certainly during my early years in the depression and so forth. At this age of 84, honestly, I think my unwed mother and father, (laughs) unwed to each other, uh, working class garment worker parents had a lock on it. They had figured it out. And the most important thing is they were consistent with their values. That was That's what I took from them. It's a standard I've tried to uphold. It's a standard I have failed many times. I am not in their league at all, not in their league. I am amazed that two hardworking factory workers like that could have cared enough at night to go out and, and try to, you know, hitchhike down to Washington or something to try to get Franklin Delano Roosevelt to intervene, to stop the German army and intervene in the war. I mean, you know, we're uh, taking, we've talked a little bit about race. My uncle Edward, a welder, took me to pick picket 
uh, Ebbets Field to get them to hire the first Negro baseball player, Jackie Robinson. Or, or and, and that my uncle Edward, where did he get that? He was a farm boy from New York, and he was a welder on gasoline tanks and everything. Where did he get that from? You know, he had a wisdom. He had a a feeling. He he had a he was the salt of the earth. You know, I couldn't understand it. Why am I here? You know, uh, picketing. Uh, I'm a little kid, you know, and my uncle, he's supposed to be watching me and he's, we're walking around at, at Ebbets Field, you know, uh, and it turns out when he was way ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve, you know, on a whole bunch of things, you know. So I, I think the real trap in America right now for parenting, we want to raise our kids to be part of the elite mm. and the elite is corrupt. Mm. Is the, that is the fundamental contradiction. The meritocracy that we are all wedded to is how do I get my kid on this track? How do I get my kid to succeed? All of us, whether we come from a poor background or whatever color or whatever. How, and we want to make that meritocracy fairer so it shouldn't have bias against women, shouldn't have bias against race, shouldn't have bias. Even so, at its most perfect form, even if everything was scholarship, if even everything was gender neutral, even if everything was racially neutral. What is that track? It's a track of what? To find the super achievers? And and then what are they going to do? They're going to fatten their own wallet. Yeah, they may do some good along the way. They may do some harm along the way. But look at what's happening. This is a good, don't cut this from it. Make a promise, okay? <laughs> Make a promise. The, the good thing that has happened in this pandemic is an educational thing. We see, yeah, maybe it's good that you have Apple supplying us with these toys and tools and Amazon helping us get fed. And maybe, you know, that we'll have electric cars thanks to Tesla and all that. But the fact of the matter is at a time when most people are going to wipe their eyes and everything at the end of this pandemic and be economically poor, have maybe lost their houses, have lost jobs that are not coming back, have really had a hard time with their children, have fought with their spouses and have not done well. Another group of people have found their 401ks to expand, have found their jobs were secure, including uh, tenured professors at our school. Uh, have found that their houses are worth more, that their income is higher. The class division in America will have grown uh, profoundly as it has, but even more so as it has ever since, uh, uh, you know, what, uh, 1990 or even earlier from Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, another great advocate or pusher of that. And we're going to find ourselves in a much more divided society. And the basic question that you're trying to answer with this show has to be answered in part on a class basis. You can come up with any great standard for parenting, but if somebody's got to clean, go and clean bathrooms for people working in some office at night and they can't be home with their children, or they got to raise somebody else's kids and ignore their own, and we don't have decent medical care for their own kids and for them, and they don't are not given job protection, and they don't go to good schools, and they don't live in safe neighborhoods, you can get all the podcasts in your world but you can't do good parenting under those circumstances. That's my little sermon for this Sunday. <laughs> well, Bob, okay. Bob th thank you for uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, there's, there's a lot there, uh, but it, it, it really was cool having you on and talking about fatherhood and how fatherhood is, is you know, definitely important to children, but also how, the environment 
shapes the child as well and how there's a lot of uh you know you know a lot of cracks and uh like you put it uh inconsistencies and contradictions there uh, so i i'm definitely not going to edit that out uh, i might have to split these episodes up in two but do whatever you want but just remember capitalism is a lousy mother mm-hmm. capitalism is not a good mother for your children or a good father mm-hmm. and it may do a lot of other things and there's not this is not true that I got some other system that's a good mother or father, but we live in a capitalist world now, whether we call it Chinese communism or we call it Russian cartels or we should, whatever, or Saudi theocracy. We live in a, mon- a world driven by the dollar, driven by the market, driven by consumerism. And that, that system is a lousy mother. It's a lousy father. It's a lousy for the family. And it's always going to be sorting out winners and losers. And the biggest losers are going to be the children. And you see that with the whole dispute about immigration and DACA. You know, those children didn't make a decision to come here, but they become uh, demonized and they become used as a political tool. Uh, And and the reality is uh, most people, they should make good individual decisions. I agree with you that. And they shouldn't be hypocrites and they should struggle. But they also got to care about what's happening in the larger society because the kid is only going to be in your care for that long. And I'd make one other point to bring the rich in on this. You know, no matter how much money you got, you're not going to want to live on some other island somewhere. You know, uh, like Jason, what was his name? Epstein, not Jason Epstein. What was, whatever, I forget his first name, Epstein. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Uh, you're, 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 you know, you can make a lot of money. But your kids are still out there. Your kids are going to still have to grow. People are going to still have to deal with you. And and so you got to worry about, you know, who are the, what's happened to the other kids? What's happened to the other families? You know, now, if you're a religious person uh, speaking to the Christians, that that's why I begin my teaching with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, not because I have any confidence that it's the word of God. You know, I'm, I'm not built that way. And I'm, that's not my ideology. Uh, it's because I think it contains wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think it, 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 whether it, if, if Jesus wrote that, God bless him, uh, you know, or maybe God did and maybe is God because there's wisdom in that parable that I have not found in pretty much any other, any other writing or teaching or preaching or anything. And it's a wisdom that, that meaning begins with the other. And by the way, as a parent, that other is your child to begin with. Is it your child you care about or is it your ego? Mm -hmm. That's my parenting lesson. You're up against it all the time. You want to go to sleep. The kid wants to stay awake. Okay. You can get angry. You can spank the child. You can get in a bad mood, you know. Uh, But the fact of the matter is maybe the kid's right. Maybe he's not ready to go to sleep, you know. Uh, Maybe it's not your clock that should be running it. Okay. It's always the other. Parents always have to deal with the other, beginning with their own child. Then they have to deal with their child's friends, the other families in the community, the other kids at the the school they're going to. So the other is central to the very act of parenting, beginning with the child being the other. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's, it's, I like how you said, you know, the, the, the parable. I look at it as wisdom and uh, wisdom from above. And it's definitely been a revelation in my life and, and it's helped change my life. 
uh, in in a way. And we could, you know, we could definitely do another podcast about that. Um, but it sounds like Bob, you, it sounds like you're onto something, and and in some aspects, you sound like a, a Christian. Um, <laughs> but I know, I know that's uh, not what you claim to be. But uh, well, 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 but you know, uh, it's not an exclusive religion. I mean, you have the opportunity uh, to embrace it, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, you know, or any other philosophy or any religion or not. You know, I mean, what is secularism? We don't talk about that at all. It's not as if secular people, deliberately secular people, don't search for meaning mm-hmm. in life. My goodness, you know, some of the best poetry, the best philosophy you know, the most soulful examination in music and everywhere has been written by people who are self-consciously atheists. I can't think of, of a more uh, morally concerned person than Bertrand Russell, who I got to interview when he was 94, but he had been fired from City College way before I ever was there. I think it was 1929. Oh, that might be too old, early, but he was fired from there or prevented from teaching there, the school that I ended up going to. Because he was an atheist, among other things. Uh, and so I think people of goodwill, and by that is they genuinely think outside of their own skin, outside of their own personal, personal, personal. I think the personal is the great betrayer. Uh, and, and that parenting begins. The main thing about parenting is it forces you to confront another. Mm-hmm. That child that, that wants to stay up is a human being. A child who is sick is a human being. And you're not sick. Is that child's sickness of less concern to you than your own or more? That's the first moment of truth for a parent. Do I worry more about my child or my wife to begin with or my husband to begin with? That's the other, other, if you're in that kind of family. Uh, Do I, I'm right now going through this pandemic. My wife is vulnerable. She has pre-existing health condition. I have my age. She's not a a spring chicken, as they say. Uh, Do you worry more about your spouse or the other? Do you worry? But most of all, the real challenge is do you worry about your children in a good way, in a complete way? And when they get sick or they're not doing well or they're not happy, right? Or they get in trouble, you know, what is your attitude? That it hurts you? It's inconvenient to you as the parent or it hurts them? That's the big challenge in parenting. It's the first time you must make a decision that this other person, first of all, is inherently more vulnerable than you are. They're just a little kid, inherently more vulnerable. Are you going to do right by them? All right. Mm. And and that's why I think this parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, I can't claim it's divine truth because, again, yes, I'm not wired that way. And that that is not my orientation. I'm not going to deny that but the fact is there's a a wisdom in that that reflects what should be a divine truth gotcha Uh, there's a there's a profound wisdom in that and and you know i I, i've gone through now i think 10 15 years of teaching ethics at usc which by the way itself is a challenge uh as it is in any modern school you know what, what is it really what we're doing and i and that parable, you know, I almost hate to return to it at the opening class of my ethics class, but I always do. I always make a vow. I'm not going to do it this year, this term. I'll find something else. I'll freshen up. And I, I, I always start with that. So if nothing else, 
check out that parable. And, and then if you, you know, and I, by the way, let me just throw one thing in. That doesn't mean that I, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I don't stop at the shrine, entrance to the shrine auditorium or around the corner from USC where those shops are and talk to this homeless person. Mm -hmm. One of my sons does. He works with United Way and he works, uh, you know, my son Peter, he works on the homeless issue night and day, uh, you know, trying to deal with it. But I don't. And I still try to get to class and I try to get to Trader those and do my shopping. And I try to do this and I try to do that. And occasionally I do stop. And what's going on here? Is this person dead or alive? Or what's who are they? I try to talk to people, but I'm also one of those who thinks, God, I just want to get gas in my car. I don't want my window washed. I don't want to deal with this. I'm not going to pretend that I'm somehow, you know, Mother Teresa out there, and even Mother Teresa probably didn't always do it according to Christopher Hitchens. But, you know, that's not the point. Yes, we can all wallow in our own corruption and use that as a cop-out. The point is it raises the relevant question. And it's a relevant question not just of how good are you, but really how interested are you in the survival of your society and ultimately of your own child? Because what kind of world will my grandchildren inherit, you know, let alone my three children, but right now my two grandchildren, what world are they inheriting? You know, if, in fact, uh, so many of our, 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 our population are living now in, in Calcutta, the old Calcutta. The current Calcutta is probably better than L.A., you know. What, what kind of your child, what kind of world are you leaving your child if, if we, you have this cynicism and despair and you know, what's going on with our politics now and everything. So again, that's my other kind of big thought, the separation. You're absolutely right to call out the hypocrisy of saving the world, but ignoring your own family. Yes, enormous hypocrisy, but it's not an either or, because if you ignore the world, your your own family is going to suffer as every political refugee, every economic refugee. My parents, my mother particularly was a refugee from a failed society in, in Russia after communism, but certainly it failed before communism as well, uh, and came here in 1919, 1920. And so, yes, it, it's, a, it's a false dichotomy. Bob, thanks again for joining us at the Father's Table. This has been very enlightening, a lot to digest. I hope you guys really appreciate it. Uh, Bob stopping by. And we'll probably have to have you on again at some point. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, everyone, uh, that's that's uh, Bob Shear. Bob, did you want to plug your information? No, but, it, but there's a C in Shear. Oh, oh yeah, S-C-H-E-E-R. Do you want to plug your information, your social media information, or your podcast? Well, the website is Shear Post one word, shearpost.com. It's all there. And, you know, I do for KCRW, I do Sheer Intelligence, which is my podcast I've been referring to. And I've written a whole bunch of books. And most important, don't tell me the score of the Laker game because I'm going to go watch it because I'm still a hypocrite enough to care about whether they win or not. And uh, bring me back to sometimes talk about our disagreement about LeBron James as a citizen uh, who I, I I am very high on his citizenship 
and you seem to be some critical, somewhat critical. So we can discuss that in our next podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'll have you back on, and we'll talk about the legacy of LeBron James. We could title the episode that, and I'll have some. I'll print out my information, my facts, and I will. We'll go through it together, because you know, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. You guys have a wonderful day. Thanks, Bob. You guys have a good one. Peace. Take care.